In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with both co-hosts, Ian, right, 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 Jack Duffin. Jack, how are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. I think you've been seeing more Cleveland Browns fans than me recently. Yeah, they're everywhere. I was uh, at Chelsea versus Spurs yesterday and uh, t- uh, right in- sat in front of me was a uh, bloke from Cleveland, now lives in Luxembourg. So um, I noticed him. It- my dad was sat next to me and just saw this bloke turn around staring at me. And then he took his coat off and then I clocked the Browns shirt he was wearing. So I had a chat to him and then walk out of the ground Two other blokes go, hey, that guy's wearing a Browns jacket. So I turn around and two guys from Cleveland who were just over for the game. So uh, absolute crazy. But uh, no, we are a world's team. So it's no surprise to see Browns fans absolutely everywhere. Jack, did you get their names at all? Uh, the guy in the ground was called Stu, S-T-U. Um, oh, great, Jack. That's great. Um, great to lock him down on LinkedIn or Twitter or... Facebook, just you, a Browns fan. Hey, I'm not a social media whore. <laughs> so, and then the two guys outside, I, I spoke to them. I, I forgot their name. Hey, I was drinking. How am I meant to remember? Excellent. And Ian, have you seen anyone in Chicago wearing Browns gear? Yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. You know, I have a good amount of Browns uh, gear that I'll wear from time to time. One of them being my hat, you know, because in Chicago it gets very cold. So to keep my ears warm, I have a nice Browns hat. And there's times you go around, you'll see people wearing Browns gear, Brown stuff on their car. You know, like I said, nine times out of 10, they're from Cleveland. They moved out there. So it's definitely a very large uh, alumni of Browns fans uh, throughout the United States. And as Jack found out, even the world. Well, let's keep this world thing going. I've got to be really honest with everyone. This week, I've been absolutely focused on work. I haven't been following the Browns like I've done previously. But I have heard Miles Garrett is in Africa. Have you guys ever seen the movie Billy Madison with Adam Sandler? No. So it is, a, it is a, uh, a comedy that came out in the mid-90s here in the United States. And basically the premise is a grown-up goes back to elementary school to complete all his grades. And watching Adam Sandler play dodgeball against a third grader is kind of like what Miles Garrett looks like in uh, Tanzania, standing two heads taller than everybody else and having 50 kids trying to rip a ball out of his hand as he just gigantically towers over an entire village of people. So it, you, you sometimes lose perspective how big these guys are to normal average humans. And then you see him standing there in you know, this, this African village and you're like, oh my gosh, is he just ginormous. Yeah, it's funny when you hear them start talking about short players and they're talking about like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, it's like, yeah, they're bigger than me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's wild because, you know, Paul, you may remember when we did our, uh, our AMA with Miles Garrett, it was through the Waterboys Foundation. So one of the reasons that Miles was over in Tanzania um, was part of Chris Long's Waterboys Foundation. So it's great, you know, for him to get over there, get a little perspective. If you remember right, Miles even told us um, he didn't travel much. 
So it was the first time, I think, for him going overseas. So I'm sure that was a great experience for him. And it was for a great cause. So double win. Actually, if you remember, Ian, he said he's a great traveler, but he's never left the USA. So um, I, think that, I think that sums up American traveling. Well, we don't have the same infrastructure you guys do. I'd love to have a train system to get back to the Browns, uh, to the Browns games, but it doesn't exist yet over here. No hyperloops. But I must say, is great Miles being out in Africa. Uh, Higgins, who I guess is not really a Browns player anymore, he was out in Bali last week having a great time. So, uh, and uh, just mention it now, ex-Browns kicker, friend of the show. Well, actually, he's not a friend of the show because he never actually came on. Uh, Zane Gonzalez is in London. <laughs> you seem well, upset by that, Paul. Well, I will tell you a bit more of an interesting story. So I've now challenged Zane and I've challenged Scottish Hammer to kick a ball over Marble Arch. And when Scottish Hammer was in London with me, I gave him a ball and he was half cut and he was up for doing the challenge where Zane has texted me this trip saying, is it illegal or illegal to kick a ball over Marble Arch? I think he's going to get a Sioux law case against him if he does it. How can it be illegal? It's in public. Like, is there something frowned upon that in uh, British law? It's fine as long as he doesn't hit anyone or hit the uh, Marble Arch, I guess would probably be uh, the way it'll go. I think, I think a ball hitting a moving double-decker bus that could cause a fatal crash is probably the biggest risk. What if you kicked it from the street side towards the park? Impossible because um, you would either have to kick it from the road to land in a safe area or you kick it from a safe area onto the road. So there's, there's no real solution. Well, next maybe time I'm over could, there, I'm going to try. Maybe you could curl it at an angle, but um, I think you Americans just go for a real straight distance kick, don't you really? How about, Paul, next time the hippies are protesting and shut down the road, get Zane over and kick it then. It's about time something useful was done while they're being idiots. Well, 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 let's not talk about stink uh, rebellion, whatever they're called at the moment, <laughs> because, um, yeah, they're back in London, but they're not protesting and they're not causing traffic jams, so they're okay at the moment. But we're not a political charity podcast. We're a Browns podcast. One thing we haven't talked about is Greg Robinson. So, um, what's everyone's views on that, Jack? Um, yeah, Greg Robinson getting locked up. Um, at first, you didn't quite know what was happening, but then it was, I think, the next day when the report was released that it more or less made him sound like the main agitator behind the whole idea. Um, there was sort of the early thoughts of, was he just wrong place, wrong time? He's uh, getting locked up. Um, how long it takes, everything else, who knows, does he get a chance of playing games this season, like uh, Kendrick's managed to um, last season, despite having federal charges against him, who knows, but uh, it's not going to be in a Browns uniform, because they already said they were cutting him anyway, uh, well not cutting him anyway, just not re-signing him, so we're going to resign, yeah, yeah, he was going to be a free agent, signing a deal, probably over 10 million a year, and uh, he went and absolutely ruined it so god knows i cannot wait to hear the story there is to be some insane story for you to throw potentially 30 million straight up the wall well I, you could almost say it went up in smoke <laughs> oh. 
Um, so here, I'll give you a little bit of uh, insight on this one. So the, the Department of Justice came out and they released their thing. So in essence, what it was is Greg and a buddy of his, um, on Bray, who actually used to be a wideout in the NFL a while back, were trying to drive from Los Angeles to, New, uh, to Louisiana with obviously this marijuana. So Greg rents a car in L.A., now, when it first came out, it made it sound like he got busted coming over from Mexico into the United States. That wasn't the case. So I'll give you a little bit of logic on how the Americans are. So within 100 miles of a border, I believe it's 100 miles, Customs and Border Patrol will just drive around and stop suspicious-looking vehicles you know, and do searches, kind of like you have DUI checkpoints and stuff. So... If you look at a map where Los Angeles is and where Louisiana is, you drive right through El Paso. Now, El Paso is on the other, on the American side of a very well-known uh, Mexican drug cartel city. So there are checkpoints throughout El Paso. We actually, one of uh, Rachel and I's friends uh, lives down in El Paso, so I got to hear about this. So he was just driving around the road thinking nothing was wrong, pulls up to a checkpoint, and then they start freaking out, obviously. So they had a random Uber driver who they needed to help drive where he looked at him and said, hey, are you going to take the, the blame for this weed? And like the guy's like, I'm not taking a 20-year charge for you. What are you talking about? So he showed him the text messages, and obviously that's what they got. But my question is, if you knew you had 157 pounds of marijuana in a vehicle, why the hell were you within 100 miles of the border? You could have went through Utah and Wyoming and Nebraska, you could have driven through the most inauspicious states in the country. I, I don't know what he was doing on that one. So I'm sure Greg is uh, reconsidering a lot of his decisions because, yeah, with these federal charges, it could, be, uh, it could be a long time waiting for him. I know the DEA and the, uh, they're going to be coming after him pretty hard. Well, Ian, I would like to answer this first in the aspect of we're not all drug lords like yourself and all these inner drug law, laws like you seem to know, you know? Like, you know, we're no longer a Browns podcast. We're now like an illegal trafficking drug podcast. <laughs> Our numbers are probably going to multiply with all the Mexicans listening to this podcast thinking, God, Ian knows loads about the drug laws in America. But no, I watched no Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, it sounds like Greg Robinson hasn't done his homework, not watched Breaking Bad, and he's just a dumb fucker because <laughs> who, the, who the hell gets paid all that money and actually does the dirty work themselves? You know, it's just absolutely bizarre. Well, he brought his fall guy. His fall guy just had text messages to say, hell no, I'm not taking the fall for this. Yeah, but like, what's he doing being in the car with the drugs? Listen, I... I always, from every interview I always heard with Greg Robinson, he always seemed like a very nice guy. Um, you know, the former number, uh, number two overall pick in the draft obviously has struggled. I don't know if he's just very gullible, but I mean, a man that size just driving randomly from LA to Louisiana with that much weed does not make a whole lot of sense on any levels. And listen, he's not going to get 20 years in prison. You know, he'll probably get, I'd say two to three, four, maybe. Um, so it's pretty much the end of his football career, though. I don't, I, now, I don't like Michael Kendricks, who that was a little bit more of a white-collar type of crime. Um, who knows how long they'll take, but my guess is Greg's going to want to get a plea on the table pretty quickly because um, the El Paso uh, 
attorney's office is going to come after him. So take his deal, two to four years, and uh, your football career is done. Hopefully you saved up a lot of your money because you're going to need it for legal defense. But what the hell is he doing? Just moving cannabis when in, in your country it's a lot easier to get hold of and you don't even have to drive. You know, he's got money. He could pay a premium. He get it sent to him in the post. What the hell is he doing driving that distance with so much weed? It's a great question. I don't think we'll ever know the answer. I know Quan Bray did not have as much uh, NFL success as Greg Robinson did. I, I, I have no idea. There's not a lot of logical decision-making that goes into that event. Jack, anything you want to add on this topic? No, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to why, who, what's going on. It's going to be fascinating. I'm just going to throw it in there. Was Sashi involved in this uh, trade um, movement of drugs? Because isn't he on the West Coast? No, nah, th- this is definitely a Dorsey. It's Dorsey signing, <laughs> Dorsey move. Uh, who knows? He might have been the uh, brains of the operation. Uh, just judging by how badly it went. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right, he should have used his buddy Antonio Callaway, but he got arrested again too. So. No, you, you couldn't have taken Callaway on it because Callaway would have smoked all 157 pounds by the time they got to El Paso. <laughs> and, uh, and would have got cold speeding. <laughs> That's probably um, true. There's hard to the argue other, with that. The only other person that could be involved with this would be uh, Flash Gordon. But um, anyone know where Flash is at the moment? Is he is he in uh, Seattle? I saw he's overseas. He went to well, China, didn't he? Not to play American football in China, that tell me. No, no, no. I think he's over there visiting. So because I know that whenever they uh, announced this whole collective bargaining agreement that's going on regarding regarding the um, the weed and not being suspended and all that stuff. Everybody was like, where's Josh Gordon at? And he, I think, posted something that he's in Asia somewhere. Uh, Paul, are you doing the dishes while doing a podcast as well? I do apologize. I'm actually putting away the drinks from the uh, Tyson Fury fight from last night. So if I'm being a bit loud, I do apologize. Sorry. Um, while we're talking about the boxing, did anyone watch it last night? No. We're not a boxing podcast. Oh, I absolutely watched it. It was amazing. Honestly, you watched it? Yeah. So I was actually at a concert last night um, in Chicago for Kanan Smith, who's a country guy, country music. Yeah, and mate, that, that concert looked awful. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> but yeah, so we were uh, upstairs at this bar and the Wilder, just as the concert was wrapping up, was the Wilder Fury fight. So I watched it and... I will say, man, what grand entrances by Britain's finest Tyson Fury and by the Bronx bomber Deontay Wilder. That was almost as great as the fight. If you haven't seen it, Paul, you need to go on Twitter. Tyson, no, I, was, I was up watching it last night. Oh, you okay. You watched it. So you saw him getting carried in by a throne. What an amazing what ama- – that's a legend right there. It's America for you. Big entrances. Yeah, well, he's British. He's from what, Manchester? Jack, is he, he's Irish, but from Manchester, is that correct? Um, I don't think he's Irish. He might have Irish roots, but um, he's British as far as I'm aware. Um, but everyone goes a bit OTT when it's a fight in Vegas. Nothing's quite as normal as it is anywhere else. A friend of the podcast, Jeremy Snap, he actually took uh, 
Tyson Fury out for some drinks in Manchester for ESPN. And that was a, uh, must have been an interesting uh, drink for an American. Yeah, well, if a lot of people don't know Tyson Fury's story, I, I encourage you to look it up. I mean, this is a guy that was near suicidal, um, had reached a point in his life where I think I saw an interview with Rich Eisen. He said he was going 160 miles an hour towards a bridge ready to kill himself, and he kind of pulled it together and now is back to being the heavyweight champion of the world. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a great story and um, definitely cheering for him because that was a great fight. I thought the first fight between the two was a great one, um, and then the second one was great. But by the seventh round, I mean, Fury had hit him with a couple shots that I couldn't believe he stood up from. And Wilder was bleeding from the ear and didn't really look like he knew what hell planet he was on. So the corner said, yeah, we've had enough of this. And I've got some questions for you. If you're an American, or if there was 10 Americans, how many of the 10 would have heard of the Cleveland Browns? I would have to ask where we're – like, if you're talking sports fans, every single – I'm going to say Vegas. I'm, we're in Vegas. You ask 10 people, I'm going to guess 9 out of 10 know what the Cleveland Browns are. Is that fair? If you asked men or yeah. people that you could tell maybe in a casino or a sports book, yeah, they would. But if you're asking, like, some of the people that stand in front of the Bellagio and take pictures or, you know, some of the women on the streets, they probably – I would say 5 out of 10. But, yeah, for the most okay. part – Anybody who knows sports knows who the Cleveland Browns are. Okay, now next question is, if I was in that sports bar in Vegas, how many of them know who Wilder is? Maybe two out of ten. Really? Yeah, not. Boxing, everybody loves a good heavyweight fight, so every sports fan would watch that. But, for example, if I asked my better half, you know, who that is, she'd have no idea. No idea. Okay, the next question is, uh, 10 Americans, how many of them would know who Tyson Fury is? One, at most. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think in the UK, Jack, I think six in 10 people will know who Tyson Fury is. No. No, I reckon you're looking around two, three, and 10. You've got to remember, most people aren't interested in sport, and boxing is not a very popular sport. So I'd say Anthony Joshua's got a lot more name recognition. Tyson Fury is nowhere near the same level of name recognition outside the sporting community because, yeah, sports fans are going to know he is, but non-sports fans, they're not going to know. Oh, yeah, maybe put it in the same league as the, the Vegas thing. Um, just say you're in London in a sports bar. I'd like to think that 8 out of 10 people would know who uh, Tyson Fury is. Maybe 9 out of 10. Yeah, if you're in a sports bar, you would expect most people there watching sport are going to know who he is, yeah. But no, it's, it's interesting that um, how the Americans don't know who Wilder is. And uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a household name. Amongst oh, sports too. fans, they do. Yeah. They know the name. But when you're talking about like just your average run, like if you go to a tennis match, they're not going to know a lot. I would be hard-pressed to see if you could find 10 Americans at a sports bar that could name you five current boxers without – going to the Mac Mayweather Pacquiao's the ones that fought 10 years ago to give you five current boxers. Um, I don't think many of, many of them could boxing used to be, you know, when it was Tyson Foreman and Holyfield and all that, you had a lot of people that watched those fights, but now we really only have UFC's kind of taken that spot. So when it comes to the boxers, you'll get one heavyweight match a year. Like, I don't know when the next time 
uh, Fury and Wilder would fight or who they're going to fight, but not many people are going to watch it. You need the two big names, and that's what the big draw with this, uh, this fight was. Yeah. All right, well, let's get back on track to the Browns podcast. Jack, it's now been announced. We've got all the Browns coaches lined up. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about the um, setup? Well, to, to be fair, beyond the head coach, maybe OC, DC, probably DC and head coach, is pretty irrelevant. Um, they seem like some solid people, but we have absolutely no idea. In the same way, when it came to hiring the head coach, you have no idea. Um, you have to decide whether you trust the people in the room to then go and make the right decision. It's not like a player where you can start looking at his combine results. You can look at his performance, look at his tape, um, and get a real flavor for whether you want that guy or not. Coaching, it's behind the scenes. It's out of our sight. So um, it's something you've got no idea. One year, say Adam Henry looked good, and then you add Jarvis Landry and OBJ in the room acting like children, and then suddenly Adam Henry's gone. So it's one that it's tough. there's pieces in there that I like. Um, the one upside is there's quite a few people that have been in more senior roles and then dropped down to the roles they're in. So like Callahan being an O-line coach, he's been a head coach. Um, and things like that are promising. But to be fair, it's whether you trust Stefanski or not. And then the rest of it, who knows? Um, it, it, it comes down to small fractions and little bits of information you get. And that's about it, really. I'd like to apologize on behalf of all uh, Browns fans in the Paul Brown podcast that Jack omitted special teams coordinator Mike Prefer from that list of just highly respected OCDC and special teams coordinator. You can't forget Pref. But he doesn't have a massive impact on is the team amazing, is the team not. Special teams is important. He stuck his foot in it this week where he was still saying there's opportunities where you should run the ball out the end zone. The guy needs to just open up a web browser, read the piece I wrote last year, and stop it. There is no excuse for that behavior. Um, Cavemen should do it. If you want to be coached in the NFL as a special teams coordinator, there is no excuse to ever run that ball out the end zone from a kickoff unless you're talking like last play of a half, there's 5, 10, 15 seconds left, then by all means try to do something crazy. Listen, Jack, no guts, no glory. All right, baby, here's what Prefer's saying. Let me, let me help waste, you out. Waste. What he's saying is I'll take the chance that he gets tackled at the 18 or 19. It happens. But if he's that confident in his return game, he's playing for the big money, baby. He's saying let's get this thing out of the end zone. Let's break it off. Let's get the momentum. You know, one of the things special teams does give you the opportunity to do is create momentum. So, is yes, there are going to be times when – he gets tackled inside the 20-yard line. Absolutely. But when you do the averages, I get how the numbers – so if you're a team that sucks on special teams, you don't, you don't want to lose the game on special teams. But if you have an offense like the Browns have, starting at the 19, the 22, or the, th- the 25, you're talking about less than one first down. So if you can't get that distance, we're, we're not playing to lose, baby. We're playing to win. You've got to look at turnovers versus uh, touchdowns. And the fact that you're – I think the numbers we pulled out were three times more likely to turn over the ball than score a touchdown. So there's no point with that waste, with that running your players into the ground. Why a player that you might want out there on the next snap doing something impressive, you're running out there and for what, negative yards? 
we're not in the negative yards game. And if you want to bet on the big play, then let's go for fourth down every time. Let's stop going for the one point and wasting and not going for that second point. We should be at two points as a basic. If you trust your offense and you think you're good team, you go for two points. Yeah, there's in rare circumstances when you're... You're tying a game late up after you score a touchdown and, hey, kick that extra one point, take the one-point lead. But other than that, two-point two attempts should be the default. The NFL's got a long way to go. Hopefully, they learn some lessons from the XFL. Points are not a bad thing, yet NFL teams seem to be anti-scoring points. More about trying to suit the... Uh, the big wigs and the expectations of the league and not stand out too much. And, and that's ex-head coaches coming out and saying that stuff. They're aware that they need to fit the norm more than win. Yeah, I actually agree. I think if I'm the Browns this year, I put a rule in. We don't kick extra points in the first quarter. I think any touchdown in the first quarter, even into the first half, I would go for two every single time. Because, yeah, you're going to be chasing a point, blah, 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 blah. But if I don't get one and I get one in the second quarter, it's the same anyways. So you do obviously have the chance of being up. Now, to your point, though, if you score a touchdown and say it's you go up 28-20, kick the extra point, make it a nine-point game, you use that one point when it comes mathematically between one and a two-score game. But, yeah, I actually agree. I would do anything in the first quarter, and barring crazy circumstances in the second quarter, I would have a go for two in every touchdown of the first half policy. Yeah, makes sense. And then when there's some opportunities – the idea is teams need to start looking at um, missed field goals as turnovers. If you get to the team's, let's say, 10-yard line, why kick it unless you're in a desperate position? If you turn that over, worst comes to worst, your defense should pin them in and you punt it and you start again at midfield. Rather than you take those three points and you start again, potentially next time after they score a TD, at your 25. Keep the pressure on, keep going. Points, points, points. And uh, you score more points, you're more likely to win. And where you've got stuff in the XFL, I haven't really watched it, but there has been a lot more pressure data out there and the league has really pumped it. This is how you score more points. Don't punt it. There, there was one time I saw a clip, the fans were booing because they punted it. That's the sort of stuff NFL fans need to get smarter, put the pressure on the coaches. And when the pressure's on the coaches in the stadium, hopefully they'll start waking up because... They're just doing what's safe at the minute. Safe isn't about winning. Safe isn't about winning Super Bowls, winning games, winning more points. It's just boring and it's counterproductive. Scottish Hammer, Scottish Hammer, we are fully encouraging of the punting on this podcast, so don't mind Jack. But no, there, there's definitely some valid points in there. Um, but I would say in terms of the Browns coaching staff, the one thing I do like is that they all have a connection and do know each other. So they're at least going to be some form of accountability. So if, for example, we do have some stats or numbers that say, hey, this is a trend here, then that's to be accountable throughout the entire coaching staff. So the one thing I think that we struggled on last year is, you know, Munkin and Kitchens and Kitchens and uh, Steve Wilkes, they were kind of put together by John Dorsey. So they were really accountable to Dorsey as opposed to Freddie. Whereas this year, it looks like Stefanski's kind of built the team, which could tell you that hopefully everybody's going to be on the same page, regardless of the decisions that they make. Jack, as a dog, Jack, as a dog lover, how do you feel about Swagger's funeral? <laughs> it was bizarre. Uh, bizarre is the only... I, I, I'm never a fan of the open casket. It looks odd. And to see it for a dog 
is even more bizarre. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I thought it was a spoof someone had made. Um, and then it was actually real. So, um, no, fair play. If that's what the owners want to do, then fine, by all means. Um, yeah, it was definitely bizarre. Um, when I get a dog at the end of the year, if anything tragic happens, there is going to be no open casket for that dog. It, I, what? Listen, I'm a dog owner. I have three dogs. I don't understand. Listen, like you said, if that's what makes them happy, God bless them, I get it. But like, why? They even streamed it on Periscope. Like, who's going to watch this? An open casket for a dog. Now, thankfully, the Browns had nothing to do with this. I don't want people out there saying, hey, look what the Browns are doing. The Browns had nothing to do with this. This was the owner of the dogs basically doing a celebration, which by all means, if it helps them, God bless you. But that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And then they staging pictures with the sun in front with the dog bone. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? But anything to get clicks nowadays. The internet shows no mercy. Mm. All right, guys. Have we missed anything on the agenda? Um, well, we got the combine. We got the combine coming up this week. So, I don't know. Is there any players? What position groups are you guys going to be watching out for? It's all about the offensive tackle. Give me them three cones. Ooh. Three cones. Ooh. Three cones. Three cones. Three cones. 20-yard dash and three cones. Um... No, I, that's all I'm here for. Um, quite frankly, the rest of it, I don't really care. I'll pick up when at Math Bomb, Ken Lee Platt, who is a Detroit fan, he has a system called the Re- Relative Athletic Score, so RAS. Make sure you go and follow him because he will take all that data from the combine, height, weight, everything, and compare it to like all the history of all these players, how well that stacks, and give you a really good breakdown because – there's no point comparing the 40-yard uh, dash from an offensive tackle to a wide receiver. They're not on the same planet, whereas he's taking that data and comparing it to real, like, similar players and can give you that breakdown, and everything's out of 10 as a total um, to a decimal. And, um, no, it's really good. I'd really recommend it. Um, but offensive tackle is going to be the key one. That three-cone will help me split who I love the most. I think the combine is going to show us that uh, Mackay Becton will be falling off of the Browns mock draft radar because we're going to be running an outside zone, which if you heard Alex Van Pelt said, it is a sprint to the outside, not for a six foot eight, 360 pound guy with the technical flaws that, you know, are pretty much all over the map. So we can eliminate him from this conversation after that one. Yeah. I was listening to the uh, PFF draft podcast and it's, um, Mike Renner and Austin Gale were having a discussion about the offensive tackle class and they just brought up some information. I, I am off Beckton. I'm not interested anymore. And the reason why is because he's not faced really any uh, or many pass None. rushing snaps. Um, wasn't much he done. And he had the highest pressure rate of any of those sort of top four offensive tackles. Um, so we'll obviously get more data as we go through the process, but he, he is off my list. Um, then we're down to three. Hopefully one of those are there at 10. And if they're not, then operation trade down is in full swing. I still think it's going to be trade down. But the guy I think that's going to test off the charts. The problem is it's going to be Worfs. And Worfs is the guy that most are saying might be a guard. So I don't want anything to do with Andrew Thomas. He, I get he played at Georgia, but that guy there, he has so many technical flaws in his game. I just, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Like we've talked about, we got a two-year window. I need a day one starter. Andrew Thomas, Becton, not day one starters. 
Jedrick Willis and Tristan Wirfs are two guys I could see being day one starters, but they're both right guard and right tackle. So the Browns are going to have to do something in free agency. And I'll be curious to see if Wills um, does test out athletically enough where people think he could play on the left side. But at the, by the way, there's a brawl going on in the XFL right now. It's quite amazing. Um, but yeah, Jack Conklin, no thank you. And I don't know, they got to figure out something in this, uh, in this free agency because as of right now, we need day one starters, and I don't see a lot of them out there for the Browns' need, and that's protecting the blind side of Sir Baker Mayfield. My favorite position to watch at the Combine is the running backs. I just find it really interesting because there's so many of them, and seeing which ones actually end up turning into future superstars. Yeah, the position I'm watching most is linebackers. I want to watch the linebackers. Paul, um, to educate fans, there's this thing called an oxymoron, which is where you put two words together that don't exist. Paul just said running backs and superstars. I want to have whatever that guy is smoking. I don't know if Greg Robinson dropped the stash off and Paul's gone through all 157 pounds of it. There is no such thing as running back superstars. They don't exist. They aren't important. By all means, they are flashy at the combine. They do some really great stuff. But you just draft the most athletic ones um, in the fourth round or later. Um, you can pick them up as undrafted free agents because you're only drafting athleticism with them. There's no real skill to develop or anything like that. You need a bit of class blocking, and uh, that's more or less it. A little bit of catching ability. The rest of it is who's quickest and stuff like that. So, hey, we, we can get one late, and uh, we'll have, no doubt have loads of people you can go pick up. There's 100,000 Browns fans out there who bought Trent Richardson jerseys that are very angry at you, Jack. Well, if they'd have listened to the podcast, they'd have saved their money and bought a proper player. So uh, that's more for them. Listen to the show, educate, learn, check out PFF forecast. They'll, they'll throw some more shade on the running back argument. Um, they just don't matter. Even in the passing game, they just don't matter. Um, Here we go, how Jack. Many, how many Here we go, guys Jack. Here's a question. praising Saquon Barkley now? Zero. Is Nick Chubb... A superstar? No. Ian? I'd, I'd have to define superstar. I think Nick Chubb is an excellent running back, but I would say his longevity in the league will probably not be long enough for him to be a quote-unquote superstar. But I really like having guys like Nick Chubb. But to Jack's point, by the time you draft a first-round running back, his prime of his career is over by the time he gets a second contract. So you look at all of the teams, David Johnson, Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley. I mean, they're talking about the Rams now trying to trade Gurley. They can't because of the huge number he's got. So I get the point. I'm not saying I would ever draft a running back in the top five. Um, I would struggle even in the first round. But a second-round pick, four years, extend him after three, maybe get five, six years and be done with him. Just move on to the next one. Hmm. All right, guys. Where can we find your details? Jack. So I'm on Twitter at, at Jack Duffin, uh, Check out some of the work I've been doing at um, dog.land, which is the website from Jack McCurry and Anthony Jokey. I dropped an article, um, I believe it was last week, on what an extension to Miles Garrett looks like um, as he's now in the window. So um, that's one to keep an eye on. Have a look. Um, Hopefully, we can get him locked up this season. If it is this season, it's going to be right at the end of the window, um, probably around the real beginning of September. So um, don't hold your breath on it just yet, but it could come this offseason. Depot guardrails, lock them up early. Jack, any um, articles coming out this week that you could tease us with? 
There's not one probably coming out this week, but I am working on a massive piece. Um, I've been working for about a week and only just finished the offensive side, but I'm going through all 53 players on the roster. What I want from that role, whether it's your second, third QB, your fourth person in the running back uh, fullback room, and I am breaking down what I want from that player and who might fill that gap, whether it's on the current roster, whether it's free agency, whether it's um, sort of an error in the draft. Um, I'm really having a deep dive. I don't know what format this is going to get released in. It might be something the other two chime in on, but uh, it's going to be a massive piece when it comes out and uh, really lift the lid on not just those big name free agents, but those deeper free agents that you might only spend a million on, but will provide valuable pieces on the roster. Awesome. Ian, where can people find your details? Ian19 on Twitter. Uh, I've been a little quiet lately on Twitter. Um, we just have so much going on in the life out here. But, uh, yeah, I think the next couple of weeks are really going to show Brown's stance things. I'm curious what they do in free agency. Uh, I'd be really anticipating reading that piece by Jack. I think that's probably going to be a great one. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, the Browns have a lot of holes to fill. So there's plenty of opportunities out there to do it. So now they just got to get it done. Awesome. And uh, for myself, uh, Paul Brown, underscore UK, Instagram. Yeah, you've been a busy All man. Right, guys, finish up by saying go Browns. And uh, hopefully I get back into the rhythm and start doing these podcasts daily again. So uh, apologize to all our regular listeners. Yeah, it's really just been us trying to find, you know, content. I mean, there's really just not that much going on right now in the world. So of Browns football, that is. So. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns, running back superstars.